Musicians and singers, oh, singers are already gone. Thank you, musos. And um, how many people here have enjoyed your week of prayer and fasting? How many people enjoy fasting? You know that fasting is absolutely vital to you and to me. Because fasting is the only thing that we can do. It's the only tool that God gives us where we can deny our flesh of what it wants. Because your flesh always wants stuff. The reason why people have affairs is because the flesh wants. The reason why people lie is because the flesh wants. The reason why people are alcoholics and drug addicts is because the flesh wants. And the only tool that we have in our arsenal to control our flesh is fasting, because fasting denies our flesh of what it wants. And we have to understand that if you're going to, one of the fruit of the Spirit, oh, we love the fruit of the Spirit when it says love, patience, kindness. We just don't like the last one called self-control. We want God control, yes? But if it's God's control, then it's just you and I just robots. It's actually up to us to create self-control. Paul put it this way, the Apostle Paul says, I beat my flesh. Please don't stand in front of the mirror and punch yourself in the face. But he says, I beat my flesh in submission to the will of God. And the only way for you and I to get authority over our fleshly nature, over our fleshly desires, is the tool of fasting where we deny ourselves. And this is why I say, I'm not saying that, that it's a bad thing if you, if you fast social media. In fact, you should probably just fast it for the rest of your life. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Because fasting social media doesn't damage your flesh. Fasting food does. And I know because people tell me, I can't fast or die. You won't die. You can go 40 days without food, without dying. We're only asking you to go one week. So you'll be right. And it teaches you how to discipline your flesh so that you don't cave in to its desires. And that's not what I'm going to talk about this morning. This morning I want to talk about hunger and thirst. And, and uh, I love this. Let me, let me get straight into it this morning. Matthew 6, Matthew 5, verse 6, sorry. It says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. For the, oh, my Fiji friends are here today. Hey, how you doing? And um, it says this, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. This is a promise. This is a promise that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we shall be filled. We're not going to get into the righteousness part of it this morning, but let me just clarify something for you. Righteousness is not holiness. Righteousness is not about being perfect. Righteousness is about being in right standing with God, which means that as we journey with Him, we constantly in our lives make sure that we're right with Him. It doesn't mean that we're not going to fail, and it doesn't mean that we're not going to fall, and it doesn't mean that we're not going to make mistakes. It just means that when we do, we get right with Him straight away. And so those who hunger and thirst to try and live a life that is in right standing with God shall be filled. Righteousness is not holiness. It's not about getting yourself perfect. All right? You've got to get that really clear in your head because otherwise you'll beat yourself up every time you fall over. But the Bible says, and I've said this so many times, though the righteous man falls down, he gets back up again. See, righteousness is not about perfection. Righteousness is about our response when we fail. Are you with me this morning? And so, but here's the thing. It says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. And the Bible also talks to, about us as being vessels or being jars of clay that God has created. And the incredible thing is, is that God loves to fill empty things. God loves to fill empty things. And jars, you and I, vessels, are created for filling. Yes? You, you don't, I don't know about you, but um, Trinity's mum's not here this morning, so I can say this but she collects antique milk jugs and she's got them all up on her wall. There's about 2,576 billion of them. And, um, and it's just like, you know, the jugs aren't created to be a display on the wall. Jugs are created to be filled. They don't fill themselves though. Jugs can't fill themselves. As much as you would like that, you know, when you put the, the water jug back into the fridge and it's got like about a millimeter of water in it, but it's not empty, so I don't have to fill it back up again. Has anybody got that problem in your house? Anybody have that problem with your children? You know, and they put the milk back, and it's like there's enough milk for a, for a mouse. Yes? Jugs can't fill themselves. Jugs require somebody else to 
pour into them. They are built to receive what is poured into them. A jug is created to receive what is poured into it. And all jars begin with emptiness. Emptiness is not your enemy. Emptiness is actually your friend. Because all jars begin with emptiness. They're all empty before they're filled. They all start off in emptiness. And the measure to which the jar can be filled is to the measure that it is empty. You're not hearing me this morning. The measure to which you and I can be filled is to the measure that we're emptied. If you are not empty, God can only put in so much. This is why you pray and you pray and you pray and you're asking God to do something in your world. And he's like, man, I'd really like to move, but you're so full of yourself, there's no room for me. It's one of these ouchy messages this morning. You see, we don't like the sense of emptiness in our lives. None of us like that. We don't like the sense of emptiness. But what if emptiness is actually God's way of getting you right where he wants you to be? Because everywhere I read through Scripture, God loves emptiness. God fills emptiness. In John 4, the woman at the well had her life empty, but God fills it. In John 6, the feeding of the 5,000 had empty stomachs, but God fills all of them. Jairus' daughter dies, and there's an emptiness of loss, but Jesus fills the house of joy by bringing her back to life. The woman caught in adultery, and God fills her empty days with a hope that is never known. Why? Because God always fills. Jesus always fills. God is always about filling your life with the things of Him. But the reality is, friend, is that He can only fill to the level that you're empty. He can only fill you to the level that you're empty. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. But to what level are you empty? To what level can He fill you Ah, some people, of course, walked away from Jesus completely empty. For example, the rich young ruler had no room for Jesus among his riches. The Pharisees were filled with laws and rituals and tradition and legalism and religiousness, and they could not make any room for Jesus because they were so filled with these laws and thoughts and what they thought that Jesus should do and shouldn't do and how they thought God should move and shouldn't move. Does that sound like some people in the church? I want to do a message one day. How do you know if you're a Pharisee? It's going to be a great message. But there are Pharisees in the church. Oh, God doesn't move like that. God doesn't, do you're so filled with tradition and you're so filled with legalism and religiousness and all the stuff that you think you actually have no room for him. You want him to move, but you, he can't. Jesus is willing and eager to fill, but somebody has to make room. Somebody has to make room. In Luke 14, verse 1 to 4, Jesus is sitting with some Pharisees and here's a really interesting thing in the story. And it says, on the Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. He was being carefully watched. I love that. Oh man, I, I, it makes me cringe when I read it, but I love it because all they could be focused on was watching him, trying to find fault, trying to find a reason of why they can confront him. And in front of him was a man suffering from an abnormal swelling of his body. And Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Now, under their laws, it was illegal. It was illegal to heal somebody on the Sabbath. So taking hold of the man, Jesus, he healed him and sent him on his way. Can you imagine them sitting there right there in that minute? Ooh, ooh, he just broke one of our laws. That's why they were watching him carefully. They wanted to see what he was going to do. Their ideas and their laws and their rituals were so chiseled into the stone of their hearts that they brought into the idea that Jesus had to be wrong because it was against what they thought. It was against their laws. It was against their rituals. It was against their religious legalism. And so therefore, Jesus had to be wrong. And so therefore, Jesus is the enemy no matter what he does. He just healed a man. He just saw a man who'd been suffering healed. But that's completely irrelevant because he broke our law. Our man-made law, not a biblical law. 
He just broke our tradition. He just broke our ritual. He just broke my mindset of how I think God works. So therefore, he must be wrong. And therefore, if he's wrong, he must be the enemy. They had no room for him because they're so filled with wrong thinking. They're empty jars that are not looking to receive anything. They're empty jars that aren't looking to receive anything. They have come to give, but they haven't come to give of their love. They haven't come to give of their service. They haven't come to give of their compassion. They've come to give their criticism. They've come to give a piece of their mind. Oh, I I don't know if I can share this with you this morning, but in the 11 years that I've been pastoring this church, there's a lot of people that come to give to church on Sundays, and it's not of their love and their compassion and their serving. There's a hell of a lot of Christians that come with their criticism and judgments, especially towards other Christians. So full of what they think is right or wrong, so full of what they believe to be the case of how God should or shouldn't move or what the leadership should or shouldn't do or what the pastor should or shouldn't do, that they have no room when God moves in a new season. God didn't ask you to be part of the church to criticize it. He asked you to be part of the church to build it. You see, here's these guys. Just think about this for a moment. Here's these Pharisees, these learned men, these pastors of the day. They are sitting with God in the flesh. They're sitting with Jesus in the flesh. Heaven had come to earth and they were sitting with him, having a meal with him. They had seen him drive out demons. They had seen him touch people with terrible diseases and see them healed. He had, they had seen him raise the dead. They, had seen, they, they, were, they were with him. They saw it. They had conversation. They had probably embraced him. They had maybe bumped up against him. They were with Jesus here. And, and, and he did all the stuff right under their noses. They saw the power of God. They saw what he did. They saw how he loved. They saw his compassion. But they could not get past the fact that according to their laws, according to their rituals, Jesus had healed on the wrong day. And that it was God's will for that man to suffer another day and he could be healed tomorrow but not on the Sabbath. They had no room for him because they were stuck in their beliefs. The minute you put God inside a box is the minute you start to fill up your life with your views, with your thoughts, and his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways, for they are higher than ours. We have to break out of this mentality where we think we think we know how God moves. Because if you'd come to me and I'd never read my Bible and said that God can talk for a donkey, I wouldn't believe you, but when I read the story of Balaam and the donkey speaks to him, now I believe. There's some crazy things that God asked people to do in the scriptures that if you came into my office and told me that you believe that's what God was asking you to do, I would think that you were wrong and you were nuts. Jeremiah lay on his side naked for six months in the town center. Could you imagine? Isaac comes to me and he says, Pastor, I've been praying. I feel the Lord's spoken to me. He wants me to lie naked in the center of Pukekohe for six months. I'll be like, Isaac, you need to go to the hospital. There's an area called mental health. Check yourself in. What about Hosea? Hosea, I've got a plan for your life. Oh, great God. Thank you so much. I can't wait to hear the vision that you have for my life. Oh, here's my vision for your life. I want you to marry a prostitute and she's going to cheat on you and I want you to keep taking her back all the time because your marriage is going to be a symbol of what Israel's like to me. Um, Excuse me, I thought it was a future and a hope. (laughs) Not of pain and heartache. There's some crazy things that God asks people to do. And you know what? There's no room for him when we have certain thoughts about how we think God should be. 
the Pharisees had no room for him because of their rituals and their rules and they couldn't get past the fact that he healed. I mean, who cares what day he healed him? He healed him. The man was now free and it goes on in verse 5 and 6 of Luke 14. It says, and then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into the well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Why? Because he knew. He knew that their rules weren't really rules. He knew that if their kid fell into the well, they would save them on the Sabbath. There's not a parent in this place that would go, oh, you're in a well. I'll come back tomorrow because today's the Lord's day. That's called abuse. Yes? It's not one of you that would drive past maybe a car accident and go, sorry, it's the Sabbath. You would stop and you would help. He knew these rules were just stupid man-made rules and he challenged them and he goes on a little later in Luke 14 and he shares a story with him. Jesus always loves sharing stories. And it says here, Jesus replied and said, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just brought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just brought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to his master. And the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets, into the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you order has been done, but there is still room. And then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. I tell you, not one of those who were invited, but if basically he's talking about the ones that he invited, but turn them down will get a taste of my banquet. You see, Jesus uses the metaphor of banquets quite a lot all the way through Scripture. Why? Because it's a powerful symbolism of what God is to us. The master feeding his people, filling his people, looking after his people, feeding them. It's a symbol of, of what God does for us, that he feeds us and he fills us. And, and in every parable, there's always God and there's always us. And in this parable here, the master of the feast is God the Father. The servant is Jesus because he's the one that God sent to compel us to come into his banquet and give our lives to Jesus Christ. But the people that turn him down at first and make excuses as they why, why they can't come are actually the church people. They're the Christians. They're you and I. And he's so frustrated with these people that wouldn't come to the feast, he makes a vow right at the end and he says, those that couldn't make room for this, those that would not make room for my banquet, those that would not come will never taste of it. It's a story of God, the master putting on the banquet, Jesus inviting people to come. But it turns out, that the ones that he initially invited, the people of God, the Christians, the church, were too busy, too busy to break away. They're like, hey, thank you for the invitation, but I got something else planned. The first man, his problem was this, is that he just brought a field and he wanted to go and check it out. He wanted to go and see it. Here Jesus is talking about somebody who has personal gain. He's talking around personal gain here. He's talking about people that, you know, like, I know some people that they could buy their home, they buy their first home and it needs renovating and it needs to be decorated and you don't see them at church for weeks and weeks and weeks on end and you bump into them at the supermarket and it's like, man, I haven't seen you in church for ages. Oh, we're just so busy decorating the house. We'll be back. We'll be, I promise we'll be back, but we're just decorating the house. See, they think they own the house, but the house actually owns them. They think they own their stuff, but their stuff actually owns them. Oh, well, well we, we brought a batch at the beach and, 
and we've got to make the most of it, you know, because it's quite a bit of money that we put into the batch at the beach, so we, we really need to go there at least every second weekend to make our money's worth out of it. Or, or I just, actually I feel like this is a prophetic word for me right now. You just brought some jet skis. I feel that's Jesus speaking to me. Can I get a witness? Jet skis for Pastor Craig. Not a hot tub for Trinity. Or, or, or there's no time because, you know, like I, I, I like to play golf with my friends on Sunday and, and, and it's the only time I get time to my, and, and it's talking about personal gain. It's talking about he's too busy to come to the banquet because he's got something. It's, he's brought a land and now the land is consuming him. And I've had this happen all the time. Oh, we're coming back, we're coming back, we're coming back. But they're so consumed with what they've got. It's like God isn't necessary anymore. Why? Because the house has filled up their emptiness. They think they're okay now because they've got the house to fill up the emptiness. But friend, it won't work. It won't last. It won't be okay. See, most TV ads on TV are telling you that your life is empty. That's what they do. They tell you that without this new phone, your life is empty. Without that new car, your life is empty. Without that new boat, your life is empty. Without jet skis, your life is empty. I feel, it's just, it must be Jesus. If I say it a third time, we two or three agree on something. No, I just. But they do, they tell it's empty. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't drink Coke and somehow have a party at the beach every weekend, your life is empty. If you don't try these new spicy chicken McNuggets, your life is empty. So what the world communicates to you is that what you've got to do, man, is that basically they're saying your personal sense of fulfillment, the world is saying to you your personal sense of fulfillment is directly related to your ever-increasing consumption of goods. That you'll be happy once you have the right house and you'll be happy once you have the right car and you'll be happy once you have the right holidays and you'll be happy once you have the right motorbike and you'll be happy once you have the right furniture in the house and you'll be happy once you got this and once you got that. And any time you feel empty, man, you just go out and buy something. You just go out and find something that's going to fill that emptiness. And people put themselves in a huge amount of debt trying to fill the emptiness with stuff. Trying to fill it with stuff. I can tell you right now, and I say this this morning with my Fijian friends here, they're more happy than half of you are, and they don't have much. They survive on an average wage of $80 a week. And they are way happier than we are. Why? Because they understand life is not about stuff. You know when they're the happiest? When everybody's over at their house. They called it prayer and fasting while I was there. But they were doing the Daniel fast, fruit and vegetables. It was prayer and feasting. There was so much pineapple everywhere. It's like the Lord was speaking to me. Eat it all. But it's when they come together and the camaraderie and the friendships. Because that's richness. Your stuff, your stuff will cause you to make excuses to say, I can't come to the banquet this week. I'll catch you at the next one. But Jesus said this, if you refuse the invitation, you'll never get to eat of it. I'm just wondering if we can stop consuming long enough to take our place at the table. The second man was a man who had some oxen that he just brought and he wanted to put them to work. He wanted to try them out. This guy is the guy who's consumed by busyness. By busyness. Every time I talk to somebody now, and you find this too, how things go, I'm just so busy. I'm just so busy. I'm just so busy. And here's the thing, I do this too. I say how busy I am. And in reality, you're pretending that you're complaining, but really you're bragging about how busy you are. I'm just so busy, I have no time. To, like, that's something to be proud of. You know why we get proud about our busyness? Because we think to ourselves this, 
my life must have significance because I'm so busy. What we're afraid of is that our life won't have significance, so we fill it with stuff to make it seem like we're significant. I remember we used to have men's breakfasts here at the church, and, and guys would be around the table, and I remember one day Isaac saying, I've got a really good week this week. I don't have to start till 10 a.m. each day, and I'm finishing at 2 o'clock all week. And all these, and I remember these guys, mm, it's all right to have, you don't want to get a real job, man. I work 10, 12 hours. And they're, and they're, they're basically putting him down because he's working only 20 hours this week and getting paid a full salary. I don't think that's something to put down. That's like, how do I do that? Can you show me, Isaac, how I can work 20 hours a week and get a full salary? That sounds good to me. That sounds like the blessing of God. But we do, we wear busyness like it's something to be proud of. Yeah, I'm just so busy, I have no time for the family and the kids. And so in five years' time, because I have no time for my family and my kids, I won't have family and kids, because my wife's going to divorce me and leave me. But praise God, I'm busy. You know what uh, Andy Stanley calls it? He calls it choosing to cheat. We choose to cheat on our family when we decide to work later than we have to, start earlier than we need to. Don't, don't blame God if your marriage ends up in a disaster. You chose to cheat on it with work, with busyness. Just get so busy with stuff. Busyness serves as a hedge against emptiness because your life, this is what you think, your life could not possibly be meaningless because I'm so busy. We think we're running a business, but actually you're just running. Running around like a headless idiot. Entertainment is the other thing that fills up so much of our lives. Online, TV, phones, tablets, computers. You know that they say that in your lifetime you'll spend an average 14 years on the internet. 14 years of your life, on average, you'll spend on the internet. Not all of you, because some of you aren't sucked into it. You know, This isn't part of your glued to you like most people. 14, what a waste of life. 14 years on the internet, reading a whole lot of rubbish of people's opinions that don't matter. 14 years watching stupid things like Pretty Little Liars, Vampire Diaries, Shortland Street. Wasted. Wasted. Now let me just say something here. If you've watched Taken 1, 2, and 3, that's not a life wasted. That's a life lived well. Nothing better than watching a dad say, you've got my daughter, I'm going to kill every single one of you until I get her back. That is Jesus. New York Times wrote an article called The Rise of the Toilet Texter. The Rise of the Toilet Texter. Basically, this article is talking about how many people sit on the toilet texting. How gross is that? When you receive a text from someone, they say 20% of texts that you receive is from somebody sitting on a toilet. The next time you get a text from someone saying, hey, how are you doing? Just think they could be sitting on the toilet while they're texting that. How ready are you to receive that text right there and then? I, when I flew out to Fiji a few weeks ago, I, I went into the toilet at the at the, uh, at the um, airport, and in there, there's a guy sitting. In the, it wasn't standing, because it was a cubicle. And he's in there, door locked. Yeah, mate, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure we can get that order out to you. Yeah, it shouldn't be a problem. I'm, I'm pretty sure we can get that order out to you. I'll have to check. He's doing a business call on the toilet. What is wrong with you? Why can't you just wait two minutes, finish your business, wash your hands, and then pick up the phone. Then make the phone call. Why, why have we got ourselves so crazy? We can't even do the toilet without texting or phoning somebody or searching the internet or checking Facebook. Or it used to be dads would go in there with their newspaper for peace and quiet. Not anymore. It's, it's crazy. You know what I'm saying? It's It's nuts. It's nuts. It's at dinner time now, I don't even put my phone on the table. My phone goes silent and it goes into my pocket and I don't 
touch it during dinner time. You know why? Because even if you leave it on the table like that, what you're really saying to the people around you is if that goes off, it's more important than you. We are so busy, we make no room. I'm too busy, I, I can't make room for you, I can't come to the banquet. We've made ourselves so busy and distracted and our lives so oversaturated that when the time comes, we find no room for the banquet. I'm sorry, I'm too busy. The third guy I kind of struggle with a little bit is the, why you could criticize him because he's just got back from his honeymoon. He's just got married. In my opinion, it'll be like, no problem, mate, catch you at the next one. I understand what's going on in your world right now. It's like, love, <laughs> it's exciting and you come aboard. We've been expecting you, the love boat. How many people remember that? Come on. It's kind of hard to criticize this guy. I mean, he's, he's just got married. You know? He's trying, to, he's trying to build a relationship here. But let me ask you this question. How many songs have you heard about love that you've listened to in your life? Or, or how many movies have you seen about love that you've watched? You'll find that nearly every single one of those songs, every single one of those movies has the same message, yeah? That if you find the right person, they'll fill your emptiness. If you find the right person, you'll fill your emptiness. And now it's ingrained in us that we say things like, you complete me. Honey, you complete me. Can I just say this for a moment? It's the biggest lie on the face of the planet. She can't complete me and I can't complete her. There's only one person that completes us and that's Jesus Christ. And if you have that attitude towards your partner or towards your boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever it is, you complete me. The pressure that you're putting on them to fulfill the every need you have in your life, no wonder marriages end in divorce. No one can sustain that. She cannot complete me. Jesus completes me. She's the icing on the cake. Don't put that pressure on that person that you complete my life. Wow. I've seen it time and time again in church. I've seen people go into marriages with huge and false expectations because I do pre-marriage counseling. And in pre-marriage counseling, we do a survey and the survey comes back. When we get married, all our problems will go away. Nothing could ever cause me to question my love for my husband. <laughs> Biggest idealistic distortion on the face of the planet that if you find someone that you can marry that your life is full. Friend, there's only one relationship that can permanently fill you and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I've seen it time and time again in our church even and in churches before time and time again. People walk away from the banquet because of a person, because of a boyfriend, because of a girlfriend, because of their wife, because of their, because of their unsaved boyfriend or girlfriend. If you're a Christian, don't, don't, don't date a non-Christian. The Bible's really, really clear. Don't be unequally yoked. Just don't even go there. Oh, but I might be able to get them saved. <laughs> what a load of rubbish. You can't save them. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts them of their sin and saves them. You are being unequally yoked. Stop being disobedient and do what he says. Well, I don't want to do what he says. Well, then you know what? You'll never get filled with God because you're full of yourself. Shall I move on? They don't come to the banquet because of a person. Then affairs and breakups happen. Why? Why do affairs and breakups happen when we turn away from God and we just think it's all about our husband or wife? Because sooner or later you're going to realize I'm still empty. I'm just being honest with you this morning, but I don't wake up every morning going, looking at Trinity and going, oh, my life feels so filled because she's waking up beside me. Love is a choice, it's not a feeling. Some mornings I don't feel like loving my kids, I feel like beating them. 
Some mornings I don't feel like loving my wife. I feel like being selfish and just doing what I want to do. It's just honest. And is anybody here that says otherwise then you're just lying because you're all the same? There are times where I don't want to have to cook the dinner and bring in the laundry and fold the washing because she's busy with work stuff. Why should I? I've just had a hard day at work. I want to put my feet up and watch TV. Selfishness always gets in the way of good relationships. And so what happens is you start feeling empty and then all of a sudden you think that that workmate that you're flirting with, maybe they're the answer to my emptiness. And that's when an affair happens, marriage breakup. Because now all of a sudden he's not doing it for me or she's not doing it for me. Have you heard people say this? I've heard Christians say this. I, I really want to grab them and just punch them really hard in the face. Because the Bible says that blows from a friend cleanses away evil. But they say things like this. I've just fallen out of love with him or her. What does that mean? What does that mean? I don't have these pretty little feelings anymore. Since when were we led by our feelings? Getting way off target now. But I'm sick of this. I'm up to here with it. I don't feel like serving in the church. I don't feel like it. I don't feel. You know what the Bible says? You were saved for works. You were saved for good works. It's not optional. It didn't say, you're saved, and if you feel like it, you can serve me. You know, it's not too much of a hassle for you. He didn't say that. He says, if you love me, you'll serve me. I've created things for you to do in advance. You're my workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that I prepared in advance for you to do. It's not optional whether you get to serve in church or whether you get to serve him. This is, this is not cafeteria Christianity where we just pick out the things we want and leave the rest behind. Where we eat everything but our greens and we shove them down the food dispenser and hope mum and dad don't see. Come on, I'm, I'm just... The Bible, it's just something stirring in my heart, and I don't mean to be mean or horrible this morning, but I'm just trying to help you. Because the Bible says this, if you do not deny yourself and pick up your cross, you are not fit for the kingdom. And this story is all about people that weren't prepared to deny themselves. I'm too busy, I just brought something. I'm too busy, I just got some ox. I can't come, I just got married. I'm sorry, friend. Those are not good enough excuses for the banquet. We had people, when we got married, when we came back from our honeymoon, we got straight back into ministry. Why? Because that's what our marriage is about. Our marriage isn't, ministry isn't an add-on. Ministry is part of what we do as a couple. And we get this, I just need to take a year off to build my marriage and, and then I'll come back into ministry. No, you won't. Because if ministry isn't important to you now at the start of your marriage, it won't be important to you in 12 months or 24 months or 36 months or 10 years. You make time for what's a priority to you. And I'll tell you what, nothing grows your marriage faster than doing ministry together. Since when did you say, well, I've just done 40 days in the desert, fasting, fighting the devil for you. I'm just going to go and have a bit of time out over here, okay? No, everyone followed him everywhere. The only time he got time out is when he decided to pray through the night while everybody else was sleeping. Come on, friend, there's, there's, a, there's got to be a sacrifice that we make. There has to be a sacrifice. God consumes sacrifices. Jesus says, come to the banquet. And the reason why he wants them to come to the banquet is because he wants them to be filled He's not trying to rob them of their time. He's not trying to rob them of what they've just brought. He's not trying to rob him of his marriage or rob him of his oxen. He's saying, come to the banquet and get filled because when you get filled first, everything else falls into place. He's not trying to be mean. He's not trying to say, hey, look, I don't like what you're doing, so get rid of everything that you've got. No, he's saying, if you would come to me, I will fill you and then you can go live your life in the filling of the Holy Ghost, in the filling of the Spirit of God, filled with all that God has for you. Rather than trying to live your life 
and add Jesus into it, but he's got no room because you're so full of your life. He's saying, empty yourself of your life, then I'll fill you with my life. And he says this in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, which will ruin your life. Instead, listen, be filled. That's a command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word there in the Greek has an ongoing tense, which means that be filled, continually filled. It, it's, it's flowing continuously. It's refreshing. It's restoring. It's rebuilding. It's a filling that never stops. It just keeps going and going and going. And what he's trying to say to you is when you come to his banquet, he fills you so much that you never run dry again. The busyness never overtakes you. The tiredness never comes against you because you are filled and being filled. And it's constantly flowing. And you got the Spirit of God flowing in you, around you, and out of you. And all of a sudden, those problems at work that you You've been working so hard to fix. God gives you the revelation of how to fix it. That problem in your marriage that you're working so hard to try and fix, God gives you a revelation of how to fix it. And God starts, and then your kids that'll be trying to walk away from God, all of a sudden they want to come to church. Why? Because there's a flow of the Spirit of God, not just to fill you, but to overflow out of you continuously. And wherever you go, the overflow spills out upon them. And he's not asking you to give up because he's trying to take from you. He's asking you to give up so that he can give something to you. And the problem that we have is we think about what we're losing instead of what we're gaining. And the thing is, if we would empty ourselves of ourselves, we would gain all of him. And in our circumstances and our marriage and our finances and everything that we worry about would not be a worry anymore because we'd have the infilling of the Holy Spirit flooding every area of our lives. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the right way to live your life in Christ, which is that you are to be emptied so that you can be filled, they will be filled. It's not a suggestion here, it's a command. So what do we do? Because jars can't fill themselves, yeah? What do we do? Someone must fill the jar. So how do we as jars place ourselves in the right position to receive what, to receive what never runs dry? To receive that infilling. We have to empty ourselves, we can do that. We've got to empty ourselves and we're going to make room. This is a prayer that I've been praying all week and let's put it up there on the screen if we can. The next one there, here we go. This is what you and I can pray. Empty me, Lord, of all the irrelevant stuff in my life and fill me with your spirit. Every morning I've been getting up this week, God, empty me of all the, irre all the irrelevant stuff, all the stuff that doesn't matter. Empty me of that. Now, you, you understand, he's not going to empty your family because family matters. Come on. Family matters. But the best thing you could ever do for your family is to be here week in, week out. Best thing you could do for your teenagers is make sure they're here on a Friday night. Why? Because they have an opportunity for an encounter with Jesus. They're not going to have that opportunity playing Fortnite in their bedroom on PlayStation. God's not against family, God's for family, but he understands that family works best in kingdom, not outside of it. Oh, I can't come to church because we're having some family time. No, 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 the best family time you can have is in church. And it only goes for two hours and you've got the rest of the day to do whatever you want. How much better would your family operate if you actually came and got filled before you went and did something? Come on. Empty me, Lord, of all the irrelevant stuff in my life. Fill me with your spirit. D.L. Moody, one of the great evangelists of our time, said this, I firmly believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and self-seeking and everything that is contrary to God's ways, the Holy Spirit will come and fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit 
and ambition and self-seeking and pleasure and the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. I believe many a person is praying to God to fill them when they're already filled with something else. Before we pray that God would fill us, I believe we ought to pray that God would empty us. There must be an emptying before there can be a filling. And when the heart is turned upside down and everything that is contrary to God is turned out, then the Spirit will come. When the servant returned and said, I've invited the cripple and I've invited the lame and I've invited the blind, but there's still room. The master's response was, I don't care where you get them from, just fill the table. Just fill the table. Fill it with people that can make room. I don't care where they've come from. I don't care what they've done. I don't care what they're doing. I don't care what their life is like. I don't care where they're standing with me. I don't care whether they have the right attire to come to the banquet or not. I don't care whether they can make great conversation or not. I'm not interested in where they come from or where they're going or what they're doing or whether they can speak right or whether they got the right look about what they're doing. I just want to fill the table so I can fill them and anyone that will make room for me, I will make room for them. He doesn't care about what you think you've got to get right. He's saying, come to the banquet table. Come and eat with me. Let me fill you despite what's going on, despite the mistakes you've made, despite where you think you've come from, despite whether you've been rejected, neglected or whatever it is. He's just like, just fill the table because it's actually not about who's there. It's about who's making room so I can fill them. I really want emptiness in this place because I want to fill the emptiness with me. But remember the measure of the filling is in direct proportion to the level of our emptiness. So friend, I feel God saying this morning, don't settle for a full life when you can have a filled life. Don't settle for a full life which will never satisfy the emptiness. It will never satisfy the hunger. It will never satisfy the thirst. Only a filled life can be satisfied. D.R. Moody also said this. He said, God sends no one away empty. God sends no one. This so convicted me this week as I read this. God sends no one away empty except those who are filled of themselves. I know so many people that have walked away from God, walked away from church because God hasn't come through for me. God hasn't done this for me. God hasn't done that for me. The fact that they're saying me, me, me all the time says to me that they're full of me, not full of Him. What if the emptiness that you're feeling is actually not a bad thing, but a great thing? What if God has emptied your world so much? You've had all this stuff go on, all these things happen, and you feel so empty, but what if, what if you're missing something? What if the emptiness is because now He wants to fill it? What if, what if you've missed the fact that to be filled, you've got to be empty? And what if you're here this morning, and you're like, man, I've been praying and praying, I even prayed and fasted this week, and nothing, nothing worried, but friend, let me ask you, to be honest with yourself this morning, have you made room for him? Have you made room for him? Oh, you don't understand, I'm so busy. Oh, you don't understand, I need, I need, I need to really focus on my marriage and build family. I've just got a new career. I just brought, some, I brought a house and these dick, it just sounds like all the excuses. Just sounds like all the excuses that the Christians made. 
Because the cripple and the blind and the lame, they were considered the outcasts, but they made room. I think the people that are most open to God filling them are the crippled and the blind and the blind. My dad would say this to me, he says, never follow a leader that doesn't walk with a limp. In other words, don't follow somebody that hasn't gone through the tough time and wrestled with God through it. But I understand something this week. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are people that empty themselves of themselves. And they make room. They make room for God. Not because God wants to rob from them, but because God wants to give them. You have to understand this about him. It's a devil that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. And the way for you to have an abundant life is to empty yourself of you so that he can fill you up of him. And so this morning, with every eye closed in this place, and no one looking around, I want to ask you this morning if you need to invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Man, I've never really asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin. I've never really asked Jesus to come into my world. Well, today's the day for you to empty yourself of you and let him come and fill you up with his love and his grace and his mercy and his goodness and his kindness. That's what he wants to do for you today, friend. He, he's not here to judge you. God, God's not a God of judgment. God's a God of giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his son for you so that you don't have to live this life, you can live a completely different one. So that you don't have to pay the price for sin, he's already paid for it. He's already forgiven you, you've just gotta receive his forgiveness. He makes it so easy that he does it all for us. And all we have to do is just confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that's it. You don't have to do anything else. And this morning, if you have never given your life to Christ while no one's looking around, or or you know you're away from him and you never return to him. You need to get back into that right standing with him this morning. I want to give you an opportunity where I'm going to ask you shortly to lift your hand. And I'm going to, as soon as I see it, I'm going to ask you to put it down. And I'm going to make you come out the front or anything. We're just going to pray for you right where you are. And we're all going to do it together. But if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want him to come and take away the sin that I've been carrying. If that's you this morning, why don't you just put up your hand right now. When I see it, I ask you to put it down. Is there anybody like that this morning? You want to give your life to Christ or return back to Christ? Thank you. You can put your hand down. Is there anybody else this morning that wants to do that? Last chance. Why don't we all stand to our feet? We're going to pray this prayer together. Because one person put their hand up this morning, but here's the thing. The Bible teaches me that when one comes back to God, there's a party in heaven. Maybe we need to have some parties here on earth. Yeah? We're going to shortly with soup and buns. If that's a party. Right, why don't you pray with me? And if you lifted your hand this morning, you pray this with all of your heart. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. I ask you to come right now take all of my sin away and I receive your forgiveness your goodness your grace and your mercy this morning and I declare from this day on